Hey everybody, it's Mike. We are back with another episode of Working It Out with the great Nikki Glazer. Um, I want to plug one thing before we begin. Next weekend for Valentine's Day, I'm doing six live virtual shows, uh, Nowhere Comedy Club, tickets at burbigs.com. Thursday, Friday, two Saturday, two Sunday. The Sunday Late Show has special guest Maria Bamford. And all of the proceeds, 100% of the proceeds, go to food banks. And uh, so get tickets at burbigs.com. Today on the show, we have Nikki Glazer. Nikki is one of the funniest people on the planet. She's the star of countless comedy specials of her own, including her recent one, which is called Bangin', which is hilarious. Her, her Instagram at Nikki Glazer says, on tour constantly when there's no pandemic. Host of a new daily podcast, soon to be announced. She is an amazing uh, radio and podcast host. Uh, I should warn you, uh, sensitive topics. She's raw. If you don't know Nikki's comedy, she's in the roasts, and she's she you know she really uh, goes at topics hard and fearlessly. Uh, she talks about sex and abuse and suicide and things that you might not want to hear about today. And if not, maybe uh, maybe this is not the one for you. But I think ultimately, really productive conversation and really funny. Like, I think she's so good at turning things that are very dark into things that are very funny and, 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 and productive and beautiful. So enjoy my conversation with the great Nikki Glazer. You know, people always ask me, do you need to do any rituals before you go on stage and center yourself? And I can just easily transition between a conversation backstage and be like, hold that thought, walk right on. Because I don't need to go, okay, who am I going to be out there? It's, I don't need to memorize anything. I just go out and I, I talk. Uh, and of course the jokes are memorized, but right, they're, jokes. they're only jokes that I memorized because I said them once in the way that I talk. And then I go, Oh, that works. I have a really good memory for how I've said things. I, um, yeah, I, I really try to make it conversational and I want to be who I am on stage off stage because, and I get that all the time of people being like, you're just the same. Like I watched you on this, <laughs> right. this, the, the history right. of swear words and you're the same person. And I was like, <laughs> why aren't more people doing that? But it bugs me, man. Like there, I have some friends, good friends oh, who I same. hanging out with and then they go on stage and I go, what is this Larry, the cable guy bullshit? You're like, this That's is a character hilarious. and you're pulling, you're acting like it's you. And I just, I don't, I can't. It's 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 hard for me to watch those people perform. This this is the subtweet of podcast episodes. I know. Because we're not going to say names. No. But it is annoying. They know who they are. They know who they are and it's there's something about it and I would chalk it up to partly that you're not only a great comedian but you're a you're a great touring road comedian and you've performed in probably hundreds of cities. Yeah. And I think a lot of it, and 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 you and I share that in common, we've spent a lot of time on the road. A lot of it is you're in a green room that's basically like a closet <laughs> often, right? You know, there's people, there's waiters coming by you with like nachos and hot plates. And then they're like, and now Nikki Glazer, and then you walk up and then that's the show. And it's like, there actually isn't much of a difference between being on and off stage. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. You're literally just a doorway away from, you know what, Zanies? Did you see that truck that hit Zanies? In Nashville? Yeah. A, a semi-truck no. drove through the <laughs> wall. You know, like when you've what? been to Zanies, you know when you walk from the green room <laughs> to the course. stage? That that path, it just no. missed the green room. Unfortunately, that thing needs to be redone. <laughs> but it just, it just, and it plowed through that 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 little short path that you have to get your character together. Like that's, it's been demolished. That is a crazy story. I had not heard. Yeah. <laughs> My God, um, that I have a funny memory from that Zany's Comedy Club in Nashville, which is being on stage. And and performing and looking at the back of the room and seeing Robin Williams. And I was like, huh, it's Robin Williams. What's he doing here? And then uh and then I do the show and I go backstage and Robin comes backstage in that little room that you're talking about, yeah. that guy right next to where they crash into. And 
he was like, I, you know, I was in town. I'm in town doing a movie, and you know, I, I saw you were playing. So I mean, he has an Irish accent for some reason. In my I think impression, that, that actually worked for me. I thought that was a good. Yeah, that I was saw you playing. <laughs> saw you were playing, and uh, yeah, just come by and and like he and then he apparently like paid paid admission. Oh my! They were God. like, no, no, you don't have to pay. He was like, no, 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 I pay, I pay. You know. He paid just then, because he thought he might have stolen a joke from you at one point. <laughs> <laughs> he used to so do that to, like, everyone, Oh, right? I know. <laughs> He's famous for, for, for paying for jokes. But you know what he always used to say is he'd be like, I paid 10, ten times for the same joke, you know, different yeah, people. Yeah, And he would because pay he people doing, not even knowing material if he that did was like, or not. Yeah. He's a, he was a sponge of a guy. Well, he like, was honest. I, I mean, that's honest. Yeah. That, just this denial of being a sponge, people who sponge – accidentally, I've done it myself where I see something, don't realize that I've seen it. Then I say something on stage and it comes out and I go, that isn't me, but like, yeah. I don't know who it was, but I'm going to keep saying it because it was funny until I've, I, I can't trace it. And I have this inkling, like, is that someone else's? So I call people and I ask yeah. around and then, you know, Ali Wong watches you one time and she goes, I, I have that exact joke. And I go, oh. <laughs> Yes, that's it. I'm sorry. I saw you and that stuck in my head and I said it. And and then you put it in your special before she can get to it again. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Dave Attell is sort of famous for calling comedians <laughs> and just being like, hey, do you have a joke about this? And then he'll say the joke. But then someone recently said to me, <laughs> a, I thought a very astute thing, which is he's just making an excuse to run jokes yes, by you. Yes, yes. It's, like it never, it's never a phone call where you go, yeah, that is my joke. Yeah. It's always just like, he's just running jokes. <laughs> we do this thing on, on the show called the slow round. And it's yes. basically like thoughts, smells you remember from childhood, things like that. Do you have a memory from childhood that you always think of that, and this is the key thing, that isn't a story, but it's just like a thing where you go, oh yeah. Yes. You know, um, and I've been revisiting a lot of this because I just switched therapists. So you know how you have to do like your one-man show essentially yes, and like tell yes. them from, you know, a very Bring young Bring them age. up to speed. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just started dating this new therapist and we had our first <laughs> get to know you. And the one story that I've never done anything with it, but – and my mom hates this story, but it is true. I – one of my young, my uh, youngest memories is being in a fight with my mom during the day. I was probably three or four, and I was throwing a tantrum, and I ran out into the front yard, and I'm screaming, probably about to run away from home because she won't let me have some, you know, some kind of tantrum. And I just turned to her and I go, "Mom, I hate you." Yeah. And she goes, "Well, you know what, Nick? I hate you too." And I. <laughs> I remember. Oh my god! I remember thinking, you can't say that to me. That's not allowed. Oh, that's great. You can't say that. She broke the matrix. Yeah, it blew. I remember everything froze, and I was like, and I think I believed it, and I think she might have in that moment, like actually hated wow. me and and resented my existence. Wow. But it really stuck with me, and I was always like, my mom hates me, and she just said it in a moment of like. Anger, but I also, I was also like, you know, it's, it's come up with your, you're, you're kind of a hack. You just threw it back at me, like come up with your own insult. Uh, but that really stands out to me of 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 her saying that, and just parents aren't allowed to say that. There's cer- certain things you're not allowed to say as a parent, like, um, and, and they can actually, they 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 can say it back. <laughs> that is always one of the reasons why I never wanted to have a child was that I have. Almost an identical memory to yours, which is I was probably 14, 15 years old. I got in a fight with my mom and I was just like, I hate you. And I I can't let it go because I think like these, you know, my my mom and dad like worked so hard their whole lives to give me like everything that their life afforded. And then when they're, when, you know, when your kid grows up and is 15, he's like, I, I hate you. It's like, I'm like, that's like a Ponzi scheme. I mean, it's like a bad deal. It's just a bad situation. And it's guaranteed. Yeah, it's guaranteed your kids hate you and you give them everything. 
I mean, that's one of the reasons I was always reluctant to have a child. But now, now I'm at the I'm at the point where Una's five, which is like pure joy, and I've I'm totally comfortable with the idea that maybe when she's fifteen, she might say I hate you, right. and and I'm fine with it, knowing that right now it's blissful, and I'll always have these memories. Yes, and she'll come around again. And she'll come around. She she'll will. Come around. By the way, the I hate you bit. Yeah. You should definitely try that on stage because it's so relatable. I, th- I, there, there has to be something there. I mean, I, my mom used to drink a lot and she would get, uh, blackout drunk like she wouldn't remember things oh and gosh. so she would call me and leave messages where she would like proclaim her love and be like i love you so much i'm so proud of you and then the next day i would call her to return her call and she'd be like i i think i called you i didn't i didn't mean anything i said like oh she just like gosh. you know covering up whatever crazy thing she could have said i go all you said was i love you and she's like yeah it's I, it's too soon for that like you know oh my and God. it was you gotta but, talk about that yeah i mean that on was stage. i mean that's one such of my a first great jokes. area yeah it, 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 but that, did you ever put it on a special i don't think so actually and I, I'm reluctant I'm, to bring up any stuff about my parents like that because they are so they're so great and I just lived with them and, and my mom does not drink as much anymore and when she does drink she definitely does not remember things which as a kid I really had some fun <laughs> with because when you realize that your parent gets to a point where nothing you, nothing will stick you can say yes. anything I would confess all the things I'd, I, mom, I'm smoking pot. I drink. Yeah. I, uh, you know, Laura gave a blow job last. I would tell her everything. Or I'd say like, I hate you. You're like, yeah. you know, I would tell her how I really felt. And I'd be like, you're not going to, none of this is going to stick. And then the next day it's like, none of it happened. And you get all the stuff off your chest. I mean, it's very dysfunctional and I've worked oh through a lot of it, but, um, there is uh there was a lot of comedy in my house because of drinking. You got to talk about that. I feel like you should talk to your mom about I want to talk about some of this stuff on stage and I love you, but I'm going to talk about this stuff. Yes. Um I You should play her this. So we'll have this. Uh-huh. And then we'll and then and then I'll and maybe I'll write her an email and be like, "You should talk to Nikki about this material because I think it's really cathartic for both of you." <gasps> Oh, but then she would have to admit she has a problem with drinking to not necessarily. <laughs> oh, I think, it's yeah, I think so anyone... rot. I don't know. No, but you're I mean... not you're not wrong. I tend to just go about it and be like, okay, she's not gonna hear this podcast because she like doesn't know right. how to do podcasts. So I feel like I'm safe <laughs> on here. And like right. her friends probably don't know listen to podcasts right. either. Sure. But it's you know, but I also Go, okay, well, I had to grow up with a mom who drank a lot, and sometimes it was scary. So this is retribution. Sorry. This is what you get. You get a daughter who is going to make fun of you. I think you're okay because also I have to say, like, with all my shit, whether it's sleepwalking or having cancer or or this and that or whatever, it's like you find that the things that you talk about that are the most embarrassing – People are like, oh, my God, I have something just like that. Uh, the difference is that was you telling your own thing, and this is me choosing to, like, air out something that my mom is does, I get it. wouldn't want. So that's the difference. But, you know, I try to lead by example and, 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 and share really embarrassing things about me to get my parents a little bit more comfortable with the fact that, like, if I talk about this thing about you that's, like, maybe a little embarrassing, so many people are getting wasted not remembering things. And you're yes. funny. You're not a violent drunk. You're not mean. You yes. tell me you love me. It's funny. I don't think it's mean spirited at all. Yeah, I mean, and you not should, anymore. You could just, but you could, you could make it about yourself. You say, "I'm the daughter of an alcoholic." <laughs> but if you can't say that, I, oh, I'm, yeah, just you're <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> I was just trying to rephrase it through your lens. Right, right. Uh, that is, and then it's of course more insulting. Yeah, exactly. It's it's. Uh, I really have learned to be a little bit more gentler with other people's stories. And uh, and I also want to find a husband someday. So I do think about the fact that, like... <laughs> I love that you say that, like, there's a store. <laughs> I'm looking for one right now. I don't want to go online. I want to go to, a, like, a mom-and-pop shop. <laughs> I just want to get a pea coat. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know when you start looking for something online and it's just like everywhere? Yeah, I'm looking. Um, I, I would I like to. I just want a hat. I want to wear a hat. I want to get a hat that I can wear in the winter and the spring. <laughs> yes, do you know any? Do you yes. know about anything? <laughs> I'm looking for. I am. I'm looking for like someone to um, want to date me. And uh, and I feel that I have a reputation of like talking about men on stage and and being yes. kind of a Taylor Swift of comedy. That's a, a thing I gave myself. And you can sure. pass it along. Why and everyone not? Could use Why it. not? Please. Yes. Um, and I, I oh, you're talking. I mean, you're talking to Bruce Springsteen of comedy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I mean <laughs> look, we're all we're all doing good work out here. That's so true. That's all. I just want to be a pop star more than anything in the whole world. Um, but it's like no guys want to be talked about on stage. You know, like they just don't want to. I know be, you mean. I know what you mean. And yeah. so it's. I, I just recently learned that I was like, oh no, that's maybe it. Like it's not that I'm unlovable. It's like guys are scared that I'm going to talk about the size of their penis on stage someday. And that's just not, I just won't do it. That's not the type of comic I am unless you hurt me. <laughs> right. And right. then if you hurt me, I feel the need to like hurt you back sometimes with, uh, my material. But, um, it's been a really long time since I've, I've been that immature with, with, and I don't, I, you know, I, also you could get sued. So I'm careful about it. You're, I, I mean, we could unpack you not being unlovable all day, but I, I think we'll get to that. Right, yeah. Because you're very lovable. You're, you're like America's sweetheart of comedy. I mean, I there's do, a con- I do there's a think consensus. I'm lovable. I think I'm a goddamn catch. You're the Taylor Swift of comedy. I mean, you're not unlovable. <laughs> I just... I, I don't, don't even know where I I don't even know where I heard that, but it's sticky. It, it works. Is it, well, a lot of people are saying it, and it's um, and writing about it, and it's it's out there. It's in the zeitgeist for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Stepping away from my conversation with the great Nikki Glazer to send a shout out to Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon, big announcement. Brand new variety pack, now featuring peanut butter. I had the peanut butter flavor this morning. I loved it. It filled me up, which is what it's supposed to do. And it was delicious and tasty. It's got zero sugar, 13 or 14 grams of protein, only net four grams of carbs in each serving, 140 calories a serving, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free. I'm like a personal trainer of uh, cereal. Go to magicspoon.com slash burbigs. Grab a variety pack today. Magicspoon.com slash burbigs. Use the code burbigs to save $5 off. And I hope when we return to normalcy, we can all have a Magic Spoon's cereal party. (laughs) I'm in, by the way. If you're in, I'm in. And now back to the show. So this is another slow round question. Mm. What do you think people, uh, your friends, your family, what do you think people like most and like least about you? Oh, my God. What a good question. Can you go first? Yeah, yeah. So like people like most about me is I think that I'm sort of always attempting to be positive. And I think that it's it's interrelated to the negative which is i think it's annoying <laughs> like i think it's overbearing sometimes and i think that it's also like i don't realize that it's also like self-serving sometimes and it's selfish and it's like i don't you know what i mean by that I, I would agree with you on that in terms of what people like about you, the positivity, the um the curiosity about other people's lives, the um just the uh, the joy and the kind of um, the, the you you're an easy laugh like you're just like yeah. you're fun to talk with but you're also really sad. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that is so true. You're also there's like I mean you're happy like you present happy. Yeah, yeah. But it, there is definitely a lot of sad, which, I mean, makes sense. You're yeah. brilliant. So you, you, well, there's got to be a lot of sadness under that. So there's, like, a lot of stress about, like, the world, but uh, always a, a, a positive take on it. I just think – what do, do you think that's a, a coping mechanism? 
You mean the the optimism? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, those are completely interrelated. And I think this, yeah, the sadness, uh, yeah, the sadness runs through a lot. I get, I get depressed. It was funny. I listened to Conan O'Brien on Fresh Air on NPR, and yeah. he was talking about how, and I totally related to this, is how for years he didn't think he was depressed because he was able to get so much done. And then he went to a new physician at one point who said, you can be depressed and get a lot done. It's just like a type of depression. And it and it it sort of broke open the way he thought about himself. And I, I when I heard him say that, I was like, I completely relate to that. Yes. I think that's you for sure. <laughs> you get so much yeah. done. And yeah, you must feel like I'm not entitled to f- say I'm depressed or feel depressed because depression is so connotated with or uh you know, being in bed all day and not being able to shower and yeah. things like that, which yeah. you sometimes don't do that, but um, <laughs> you've got that one going for Wait you. A minute. But you're still writing as you know. But yeah, you you seem too productive, and people have said that to me too. You're not depressed. You're not. You don't have ADD. You get so much done, and for me, getting stuff done is the only way I can stay out of the the dark thoughts and yeah. uh, not f- want to kill myself. I mean, or, or go yeah. to those places. So yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it's because of it, but it doesn't mean that when you get undepressed that you stop working hard. I think that that motivation still stays there, but um, yeah, I think I've that talked, you and I have talked during the pandemic on the phone and both have had, I feel like pretty low moments, really low. I, yeah. yeah, I was listening to your conversation with Maria Bamford about, you know, suicidal thoughts and all of that. And I've been really open about mine. I was plagued by them and have been several times in my life, but especially over the this, this summer, I had some real lows where I was like, I think I need to like go away somewhere to yeah. just get medicated and like get out of this state of constantly wanting to end things, but not, but not doing anything like I'm not gonna end it so I'm just in this horrible yeah. uh, like it reminded me of like when I was uh I, w- I had an eating disorder for a while I was anorexic and like on death's door and it was in that same place of like I don't know how to get better I just wanted to die because I couldn't eat and it's torture because you're like starving all the time it's like truly like the worst feeling you're just so hungry but you can't eat because whatever it's not letting your l- mind is not letting you and I just was like, I don't know what to do. I wanted someone to like take me away and put me away and do something with me because I'm out of options. I can't do this anymore. So um, luckily though, I got this summer when it got so bad, I, um, I got diagnosed with ADD and then that really helped me tackle my depression. But the suicidal thoughts, I mean, there's so much comedy with suicide and I've talked about it for so long in yeah. different ways on stage. And uh, similar to you of... of I don't, I, I can never do it um, because I have to clean my room first. I can't, <laughs> the mess I would leave behind, my mom would already be mad that I killed myself, but then she has to oh clean gosh. up after me. And the EMTs might be like hot. And so like, I wonder they're going to like break oh my in my gosh. hotel room and like see all the trash. And so the fact that I'm so messy has actually protected me from ever doing anything because I would have to. I would have to get things in order beforehand. And um, yeah, the the mere fact that I don't have a Swiffer is going to keep me alive. I also have that with like, wait, people are going to read my journals? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't want people to read my journals. Do you, I don't know. So your journals, like, are you organized about your journaling? I have always no. wondered this, like... No, it's a mess. Your morning pages, I know you do. Yeah. That's just like scribbling stream of consciousness. Yeah, I, I literally just type into my laptop. It's part Right oh, now it's type. part of a single document that might end up being a book or part of the next show. And then do you actually write with a pen at any point, journaling? Yeah, I, and then I write my journal like at night with a pen wow. and notebook. Journaling's yeah. really important. I really did not know how great it was until recently and like picking up old journals just ones that yeah. i wrote like three pages in at, like in 2014 and just read those rambling thoughts and i'm like i was really figuring some i was on to something here emotionally 
that I just abandoned, but, you know, thankfully got through it. But there's just so much to uncover. When did you get into journaling? I got into journaling, I don't know, like sometime in my 20s. And in some ways, as as therapy, it's great because it's essentially inadvertent cognitive therapy because you're writing down how you feel and then you're reading it later and going like, do I still feel that way? Why did I feel that way? And you sort of put things in perspective. You're like, I shouldn't have been so mad about that. It's a little out of proportion with what actually happened. Yes. That's what it helps me with. And then as a writer, it's good because like my last show and book, the new one is like, essentially my journal ended up being the first draft of what became this super long document and then super short thing. So it's like, in a lot of ways, my journals are are like the setups for what become my jokes. And when you do write, is there any thought in the back of your head, someone's going to pick this up someday? Someone's going to see this? Always. Or do you, Always. Really? Always. Yeah. I, I don't think I'm ever 100% honest with the page. I think... I think I get up to ninety ninety five, but I think there's always a little hint of like hold back. Yeah, yeah, me too. Unless you know, I, I am scribbling in such a way that it's completely illegible. But then, what's the Same. point? Because I can't go back. But yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, is there illegible. anywhere we can be completely honest? And- the, I think the comedy the comedy store. I think. <laughs> You're so right. That's what I. That's what I've heard. I don't know. I follow them on Instagram. <laughs> that's what that documentary was about. That's the only real place where you feel uh, exactly like you can be yourself. Yeah, you can't say anything anymore. <laughs> you can't talk about anything anymore. That whole that whole sentiment drives me nuts. <laughs> Yeah, like, it's I, like you're on your you're on your Netflix special for 200 million people, and you're going. Let me just start by saying nobody can say anything anymore. It's like, what do you? You're talking to 200 million. No one has that platform. That's so funny. <laughs> it's like give that platform to a fireman for God's <laughs> sake. Give it to an EMT, someone who does something productive. I'm going to step away from my conversation with Nikki to send a shout out to Helix Mattresses. Helix Mattresses 2021, the greatest mattress of 2021. As dictated by comedian Mike Birbiglia, you heard it here. I have one. I have a serious sleep disorder. I think you should get one. It'll cure your serious sleep disorder. Um, I love it. I think it's the most comfortable mattress I've ever slept on. They have soft, medium, and firm. You fill out a quiz. A quiz? I don't want to do a quiz. Well, you're going to do a quiz. And then it shows up in a box. A really weird thing. Shows up in a box. You open it up with scissors, and then pow! It jumps out of the box. (laughs) Like the silly worms for kids. Is that even a thing anymore? Uh, Right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattresses and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash burbix. And now back to the show. So this is the part of the show where we work on jokes. This is, can I run a joke by you? This is new. This I like, can't believe you do this every week and have to have new material. So let's let's go. It's because Nikki, of course, it's because I'm sad. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's your depression. <laughs> it's all I have. <laughs> um, and the people seem to enjoy it. And uh, <laughs> this is our favorite the, depression symptom. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, um, I don't have a swimmer's body. I have a drowner's body. <laughs> Where it seems like I'm drowning at all times, even when I'm not in water. Even when I'm shirtless and dry, people are like, are you okay? And I told this, the reason I brought this up to you is I told this joke to a friend and and he goes, Mike, don't body shame yourself. And I thought, if I didn't body shame myself, I'm not sure I would even know how to perform comedy. Body shaming is my bread and butter. 
By the way, I love bread and butter. I feel like I could eat bread and butter for every meal and I wouldn't get tired of it. I mean, I'd get tired in just in general because I'm always a little tired. But I tried to <laughs> but I tried to understand. I'm sure you you feel this way is like relating to this like I try to understand where my friend's criticism came from about body shaming, right? Yeah. And what I think he's getting at is that I'm criticizing my own weight and build, and by proxy, I'm criticizing anyone of a similar weight or build unintentionally. But the truth is, I'm not thinking about them. I'm thinking about myself because we're all just thinking about ourselves because that's the thing about human beings. Narcissism is our bread and butter. <laughs> and that's that's the end of the bit. Narcissism is our bread and butter. And I think like... That that's what it's sort of about. It's so good. Let's let's start at the top. Okay. You don't have a swimmer's body, you have a drowner's body. It's so goddamn funny. Um I actually have another tag for it, which is I have a um a river corpse body. <laughs> like a yeah, like a body up. that you'd see in a body you'd see in a documentary about murder. And like when I see <laughs> those documentaries, I'm like, oh that's relatable. That's <laughs> in the like second stage of decay. Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> Horrible. Um, I just picture like people like I, I want to see a scene in which you're being rescued, like in line getting coffee by a lifeguard. <laughs> just someone's got you and you're like, I'm OK. Or like throwing someone throwing a, a raft to you. Like the idea that you're drowning all the time. Yeah, is, yeah. It, it, I mean, I want to see that like act out, acted out in some way. People yes. are giving you CPR. I love that. OK, I love um, <laughs> and I love the bread and butter. I mean, I feel like it's dying for bread and butter is my bread and butter. You know, like oh, that's even funny. though that's probably bread and been butter done, is my bread and butter. I don't know if it's been done. But I wonder. Yeah, bread and butter. We'll is, have to ask David Tell. Is my <laughs> yeah? Check with him. Now, do you have a joke about getting gonorrhea on a carousel? <laughs> like, no, sounds very specific. In, in 1972, I wasn't alive then, Dave. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think the bread and butter is my bread and butter. I love the. Um, the what did you say about the slow the the tired? Oh, about um, even when I'm shirtless and dry, people are like, "Are you okay?" And then you're and then eating, I, and you it, say, "Until I get tired of oh, it." Oh yeah, yeah, Not yeah. Not of I go, it, uh, but just tired. Yeah, and and I go. Uh, by the way, I love bread and butter. I feel like I could eat bread and butter for every meal, and I wouldn't get tired of it. I mean, I'd get tired, <laughs> yes. but just in general, because I'm always a little tired. <laughs> yeah, I think. Not even, not always a little, t like, you're always a little tired. It's good, but I think feel like for you, like, y watch, getting, you getting tired from eating so much might be fun. Like, because I, I would just get tired from, it's like, lifting the bread to my face. I don't know. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah. Just get specific. It's like, yeah. Lifting all that bread always makes me sluggish. The jaw, my jaw chewing yeah. and the swallowing and the, um... The wiping the crumbs off my, you know, the the bed, uh, and then and then you closed with narcissism being oh the the looking at other body shaming the body, body shaming. shaming okay, I love that too because that is exactly it. People don't when when you put down yourself, you think that they're thinking about you, and you're so right. And I, I well, I've had to pull back a little bit because actually, like my friend, I say my friend mentioned this, and it's a comic. Yeah. It's not even like someone who doesn't do comedy. It's like a comic was like, hey, don't body shame yourself. And I'm like, I mean, if I don't have, if I can't body shame myself, I don't really know what I'm going to talk about. Right. And that's okay. So I have the same thing when I say that I, I'm scared of being called ugly. People go, Nikki, come on. Like, I can't, right. I get it. I'm not like ugly, but th that doesn't mean that I don't feel it sometimes. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. just because you, someone might be uglier than me doesn't mean that I'm saying that they're ugly by saying that I am. You know, like right. it's to be told that you're not allowed to have your feelings about yourself. Yes. That strange. Are Very strange. It's, yeah, and, yeah. And, and that's why I'm always met with, you're so hard on yourself. It's like, well, I can't, well, now you're just making me feel, now I'm feeling bad about being hard on myself. Now I'm like yeah. mad, now I'm mean to myself about being too mean to myself. I can't win. Um, so yeah. yeah, that's real. That's really interesting. The, uh, the, the fact that a comic told you that it's like, ease up on yeah. that. Yeah. Trying to think of what it was recently where, where I was, where I was like, 
Oh, it was. I was writing a bit about how, <laughs> like, sometimes when I show up at my shows, it's like I've been dreading doing the show all day, and it's my favorite thing to do. And it's like I'm realizing, like, oh my god, I dread just doing anything at all. And and then some people say to me, like, Mike. Well, you're lucky. You at least get to be a comedian. I'm like, I know. How do you think I feel? That I'm just telling you how I feel. I don't think I'm right. I just think it's how I feel. I am so glad that you also dread doing comedy all day long. All day. All day. And, and I promise you to the listener who's like, I don't want to go see a comic who dreads. The second we take the microphone... It, the dread goes away. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. This, it, it never fails to work. And sometimes I think it won't work and I'm going to be up there dreading it. There's only been a couple times where I've really been miserable and been like, I, I can't wait to get off stage. Um, but generally, that dread goes away. The second you start talking, I might. But it, you can't anticipate that. It's just, there's dread. I have been told by, like, boyfriends, my dad, uh, and th- saying, I've never heard someone dread doing something they love more than you. Like you complain all the time about how much you don't want to go on stage, how much you don't want to go do the set. Then why do you do it? And I, I I don't have an answer for that. It's like, because you love doing the thing, but you don't love the thing before the thing. I hate the, the preparation. I hate, yeah. I just want to do it. I am not someone who is good at, at reviewing or preparing. I just want to go and do it and then not have to look at it again. And that's why I love stand-up is because there's no, usually no tape to look over. And I do record every single set, but I've never listened to a single set of mine. Like, ever. And it's really, I'd be a much better comic if I did. Um I just, it's too painful. I just like one and done and then leave it and not have to look at it and review it and second guess things and hear my voice. And I know that's not original and I just have to fight through that uncomfortability, but I can't seem to. The, the, um, yeah, the dreading bit. And I don't know if it'll make it into the next show because in some ways it's like to talk about dreading being on stage while you're on stage (laughs) in some ways is the kiss of death. Yes. With the audience. You're basically well, that's why saying, you have like, to reassure them. I'm happy right now. I promise you. So my joke my joke is always like, you know, I'm like, oh, I got to do this show tonight. I'm, I got to take the F train from Bergen to West 4th. And then I get on the train. I'm like, I like the train. You know what I mean? And then I'm like, oh, then I got to walk from West 4th to McDougal. Then I'm walking. I'm like, I like walking. I get some steps in on my Fitbit. And then and then I get on stage. I, you know, I, And then I show up at the show and I see the audience. And I'm like, oh, these fucking people. <laughs> and then I got on stage yes. and I'm like, I love you guys. Oh, You know, like, and, and then I just have this fear. Like, oh, I guess I just dread doing anything at all. Yeah, it's and I mean, it's just a... It's about being in the present, you know, like that's just a a testament to like being in the present is the best place to be. But also I do, I do not dread eating and (laughs) sleeping. I totally feel you. Those are the only things in my life or like, um, you know, seeing a friend that I met, like, but even friendship, I I dread a lot of that too. But I, I dread podcasts. I'm having such a good time. I am so glad I did this. But like leading up to, actually today I wasn't dreading this. I'm going to be honest. I can't lie and say I was dreading it. I wasn't. But most of the time, even really fun things, especially, you know, like, thank God I have a, a rapport with you where I'm not as nervous as I probably should be for this. But, like, you know, you did Conan's podcast and, like, the nerves leading up to something you really want to do and have I was so nervous. Doing, I was, like, buckled over in, like, anxiety it. before Conan's podcast. And, uh, and then when you get in it, are you – were you able to relax and be present? I had a great time mm-hmm. and I was present. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but you hear those stories about Letterman. He was always miserable, except when he was filming his show. And so part of you is like, fuck that guy. But then it's like, that's his experience. I don't know. What are you, you going to say? Yep. It's, it, it, I'm so glad because I always looked at you as someone who just loves stand-up, can't wait to perform, wants to do it every night. Not as much compul- compelled to do it, but wants to. But I'm glad to hear that there, it's just a similar compulsion and uh, a, a constant chronic dread. And I think what I love about it, and I, I don't think I've even ever talked about this, and this is why even like I, I enjoy doing virtual shows, which is a lot of comics are like, I'm never doing virtual shows. Right. I like seeing people laugh. I love sharing an idea 
and them laughing and me laughing at them laughing. Yes. Like, I, I love the interplay of it. Yeah. I I forget that we make people laugh sometimes. Like, I really forget that, like, it brings joy to people. I think it just becomes such a way for me to be validated or to, um, like, uh, you know, speak up for maybe girls who might not feel, like, spoken for. But I, I sometimes forget, like laughing like makes you happy <laughs> like it's oh, like know. a good thing that you're doing I, I don't oh here's the other thing this is wild i i don't know why i do this i do not ever look at the audience and i never i it appears that i am but i blur my eyes subconsciously i don't choose to do it I can never, I never make eye contact. I don't know what the audience looks like. I don't see them laugh. I can see them moving and that's when I know they're laughing and I can obviously hear it, but I <laughs> will never actually look at them. I, I have a fear of, I guess, looking people in the eyes and having them feel like they have to laugh because I've made eye contact with them. So um, I just choose not to. And I'm scared to see that they won't be laughing. I feel like you should try it. Oh, I think I, I might have to. It's like I don't do crowd work. I'm so scared of them. And that's why I talk so fast. I don't want to like anyone to ever be able to get in a, a heckle. I don't like silence. I don't it's it's I have a weird uh, I have a weird fear of the, the audience um, that I haven't addressed yet. I feel like you have the opportunity just because you work the seller in the store and all these places that have like great crowds and like you could lose them for five minutes and win them back. Mm -hmm. And a lot of comics don't have that luxury. And I feel like you could experiment with like, I'm going to just tonight, I'm just going to look at the crowd. I think I'm going to take those chances when, when it opens back up because it's the way I was doing stand up before isn't as fulfilling as I wanted it to be. So I have to reapproach it. Um, and, and breathe some life back into it for me and scare myself again a little bit and bring some edge to it because it was just becoming so easy. Even when I was doing new material, I just wasn't feeling nervous and I don't, oh. I, I want to feel nervous again. I want to be scared. And so I'm going to challenge myself to, uh, do more crowd work. Cause that's the, the scariest thing for me and to, um, what else? I, I like, I, I have a lot of goals. Yeah. I think the fun thing with crowd work is like when I was doing thank God for jokes, I would, I would say, tell a story about how I got arrested in New Jersey once. And I said, has anyone ever been arrested? And you can't believe how good the stories are. People would tell stories about, you know, one time Rachel Maddow was in the crowd and, and I was like, what'd you get arrested for? And she was like, civil disobedience. And I was like, that makes sense. You know, it's like, <laughs> you just get like, you get like really good stories, like endless amounts. One time a guy said like, I climbed on top of the Hollywood sign once. You're just like, what? I mean, but, you're but right. But I think it's the specificity of the crowd work that will make it more fun. And I am interested in people. And I do like, I have a way of, I don't know why I'm so scared of it. It's really a weird thing for me. And um, I think because one time I did venture out there, I had like a joke about tattoos or something, how I, um, I used to have a, a joke where I got, I got wasted the other night and I got a tattoo removed and I like don't remember doing it. And now I have a blank space on my hip that I have to live with the rest <laughs> of my life. Just like going, walking, like stumbling into a laser clinic and just getting a tattoo removed. That's so, funny. um, so it was just some dumb joke like that. But to get into it, I was like, eh, anyone got tattoos? And this woman was like, I do. And I go, well, what do you, what do you got? And she's like, um, I have like my baby's uh, like footprints. And I was like, oh my gosh, how old is he? And she was like, he's dead. Oh my God. And I didn't know what to, I don't even remember what I did. I, th I think I died. Um, and I think like, I, <laughs> I, I can't right even now. remember. I, I like, that's a moment where like my, my, I could, my body left my, my soul left my body and I could like see above bird's eye view. And it's just, I think that scared me for the rest of time. <laughs> that's, I feel like I can't, I can't think of a specific thing, but I've had stuff like that over the years where you're, you hit a brick wall with crowd work and it's scary, but also like it reminds you of what the art form is. The art form is just one person talking to a group of people and whatever happens, happens. That's the show. Yeah. And, and now I realize with that woman, 
I would have asked about it and had a real moment. Like, who cares if we go to a sad place? Yeah, like, yeah. That, even better because, first of all, she was comfortable enough to raise her hand and say she had a tattoo and then offer that up. She's in a place where she can actually talk about this. How how actually interesting that we yeah. could have someone who's willing to talk about this and for Absolutely. me to, to ask a little bit. And then anything I say after that, and obviously not about that, is going to be met with so many laughs because people are going to want to get out of it. Absolutely. So, this is huge. I, Nikki, I think this is huge. Yeah, I think so Because the reason why I say that is whenever I come on your podcast or radio show, I'm always amazed at how good of a listener and talker you are. And I feel like, and you're a great joke writer, obviously, that's what you're known for. And so if you merge those two things into your live show, I think it could be explosive. I think you're right, Mike. I really, because uh, I, I I, love it too. I love, um, I love when I see people go into the crowd and where you just trust them to be okay. What I, you know, and that's what comedy is, is obviously just the audience just wants to feel like you're in control. And I think that I am so in control of my own jokes that going out in the crowd is going to give them that sense that I'm not because I'm not as confident with it. But the only way to combat that is to just do it and then to to prove myself wrong. And and like you said, I can always get out of it. You're going to you're going to be great at it. And you oh yeah you have you've forty jokes lined up and I that don't care work. about bombing like I I truly don't yeah. like you know like it's it's okay to bomb I I've been there so many times I will be there again it's not it's not comfortable but it's it's not gonna destroy me like it it, it, totally. it used to so it's just like oh, okay I'll just have to shake it off and, and get another set in pretty quickly after but it's survival it's not the worst thing that could happen. Stepping away from my conversation with Nikki Glazer to send a shout out to Me Undies. Me Undies. Let me tell you something. I never really cared about what underwear I was wearing before I met Me Undies. <laughs> it was, you know what it was? I would listen to podcasts like this, and I would go, and they would go, it's the softest underwear in the world. And I go, all right. And then they go, it's the softest underwear in the world. Go, All right. And then like the third or fourth time, I was like, okay, I get it. I'll try it. And then I tried it. And I was like, yeah, softest underwear in the world. Totally sustainable, breathable, softer than soft fabric. My words chosen. Available in a range of sizes from extra small to 4XL. I don't know if there are sizes other than that. To get your 15% off your first order and free shipping, go to MeUndies.com slash Burbigs. That's MeUndies.com slash Burbigs. Let's do it as a group. Let's just all buy underwear as a group. All right, it's it's decided. And now back to the show. Do you have any material that you're working on that you want to float? Yes. Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll uh, go through some. Um, and these are just very loose things. Okay, so... I, um, my nephew, like, doesn't care for me. Like, he's not <laughs> into me. <laughs> we haven't been able to, like, make that bond. And I have uh, several examples, but, uh, and this isn't even a joke. This is just a real thing that happened. I got a, a cardboard cutout of myself made by the St. Louis Cardinals to be at Bush Stadium <laughs> during COVID. Um, and it was placed cool. next to John Hams. So, wow. um, there's rumors. Uh, <laughs> I was like, could you put me in his lap? No, it was, uh, it was nice. So they made a cardboard cut out of me. And then after the season was over, they gave it to me and it was at my parents' house. And then my, my nephew who's, um, three and a half came over and I was like, Arlo, I have a gift for you. And I thought he would just think it was funny and weird. He yeah. was so horrified by this be- beautiful picture of me, like waving and being like oh my happy in a Cardinal shirt. And he was so scared of it and cried. And I go, and and uh, my sister Lauren was like, we're going to take this home. This is fun. This is funny. And he was like, no, and just threw a huge tantrum. Oh, how old is he? Three and a half. And okay, okay. they put it in the car to take him home. And they're like, just 
and they were really defensive of it. Like, Nikki, he's just, this, this doesn't yeah, yeah. have anything to do with you. And I'm like, I didn't yeah. think it did until you said that, but <laughs> all right. So then he's, they're in the car on the way home, and he is so upset by this cardboard cutout of me smiling at him in the back seat. They have to pull over on the side of the road and, like, get rid of it. Like, they have to oh, move it no. out of the car. And, and that's how much he was uncomfortable with me. Um, but we got it back, and it's, like, in their house, and I – like try to uh, it, it's it's now um prominently displayed and i think he's like become used to it but he really hated it for a while so that beside that he doesn't we never really bonded and i'm i'm always trying to work it but i'm also like not trying too hard i don't want to be like that but one day this summer he was over i have one jo- i have one oh, please, tag for that please. if you want it which is like um my my ne- my nephew doesn't care for me which i think is really funny <laughs> and then it's just a great setup and then um um I feel like you could be something in the universe of like the St. Louis Cardinals did this thing where they had cardboard cutouts of like different St. Louis locals, you know, John Hamm and me and blah, blah, blah. And I gave it to my nephew. Well, I didn't give it to him. I had my <laughs> my road manager deliver it to his house. And you know what I mean? Like you could distance yourself from the delivery of the cardboard That's cutout. That's so funny. And then he freaked out and like, I asked them to console him. I don't know why he doesn't feel close to me. I had my assistant tell him that I someday I'm going to take him to the baseball. Yeah, that's really. And I told him I would send a car. (laughs) Yes. I told him if he was upset, I would send a car and the car would take him to Applebee's. He could have whatever he wanted from the right half of the menu. It would all be paid for. Then the car would bring him home. (laughs) And I don't know. He doesn't like. He doesn't care for me. He's three years old. I don't know. It's so funny that yeah, but just uh, really leaning into like I'm a celebrity and like he should care about like he that should, should mean something to him. Yeah, but yeah, it yeah. just really doesn't because he he doesn't. Care. I mean, they always are like Nikki's on TV and he just right. doesn't we show him the specials. Yeah, I we mean, show him the specials. Does yeah, it, yeah. does Uno respond to seeing you like on TV, like talking to like Seth Meyers? Is she like what daddy's up there? We show her stuff every now and then. We don't show her a lot. Right. Uh, and it's a li- she's five and a half. It's a little confusing. There's this great book we read her called Bear Has a Story to Tell. And I read the audio book. <laughs> and so I could either read it to her or I can press play. <laughs> oh, my God. That's And, awesome. like, even that is sort of confusing. Like, why... Is why is Dad's sonic quality so high <laughs> on this recording? Well, she's just gonna think that all dads, every every child's yes. dad, does what you do. Like that's is what a, they grow is up. Is a voiceover thinking. artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, we're that's all just so a cute. bunch of soccer soccer coaches and voiceover artists. <laughs> she, uh, that's. But what's the what's the rest of the bit? But I oh, love okay, that so, bit. I think it's hilarious. Well, this this is a little bit. Uh, okay, so. Over the summer, I- I'm, like, kind of giving up on him, and my sister would force him to, like, hug me, and i go, please don't do that. To- just let him have his own, like, choice in the matter. She's like, no, he loves you. You love Nikki, don't you? And he's just, like, mute, you know? And so <laughs> just it's so awkward because I'm like, you don't have to do this. I know that he does. It's It's fine. Like, later on, he's going to love me because I'm going to, like – I'll probably get him laid when he's like 20 because I'm going to be famous and like take him backstage with him and his friend. Like it's, I'm gonna, he's gonna, it's all going to pay off someday. So at one point I was, we had just gotten done with a run, his dad and I, and uh, I was like, I'm going to go take a shower. And he's like, I'll take a shower. And I was like, okay, no, no, you know, and I'm like, I'm going to go. And uh, he's like, I'll take a shower. And my sister goes, he can go. And I go, "Mm, no, he can't. (laughs) And she was like, Oh my but gosh. It's fine. He doesn't care. And I go, I do. I was like, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be naked. And she was like, Yeah, he doesn't care. And I go, but like, what if like what if I like molest him or something? And she was like, oh Are you going to I go? I don't know. I've never oh been my God. I've, I've never oh been in a situation. I've never taken a shower with a young child. I don't want to be put in oh don't put me in that. And it's like, you know, you don't know what you're gonna do. It's the same, it's the same reason I don't have a gun, you know, because I might use that gun to make, you know, my nephew have sex with me. That bit is so funny. I have no tags. <laughs> it's so bad. I have nothing did, to offer. I mean, the only reason I can make it, obviously, is because I'm not a molester, but, and I'm, like, I don't know. I've I've been on this, like, molestation kick, like, of just, like, wanting to talk about it because I listened to this podcast called Hunting Warhead, which, 
just every parent needs to listen to it, even though it's horrifying. It's like there's so much more, many more molesters out there than anyone thinks. And I just feel like we need to talk about it more. And like, and, and so many people have been molested and like, I feel like so ashamed about it. And I feel like it's my duty as a comedian to like talk about it a little bit more. And like, obviously the jokes are uncomfortable, but I really, I want to talk about it more and just that's like, great. It, it, I, I think that's good. Now, by the way, I think that that's a good reference point also for your special banging, which is like, it's tons of sex stuff, but it's very candid and honest and it's true to you. And like, I feel like a lot of times there's sensitivity with comedy where people go like, like, I don't like when comics discuss X, Y, Z topic. And I'm always like, and you know, and they ask you, you know, in interviews or they ask me, are there any topics off limit in comedy? I always go, no, like, it's all a matter of how you do it. It's yeah. all a matter of like, you can do any topic well comedically because theoretically we're doing exactly what you're saying about the molesting thing which is you're shining a light on a huge problem and i don't know that i haven't been molested i mean this is another bit that i was like i've i'm gone going to therapy to like i plopped down on the couch and i was like D dig it out of me donna let's see if we can find oh him because i don't know if he's in there somewhere you know oh like so gosh. we're going through all my uncles uh <laughs> i have oh like God. 10 uncles a catholic family so we're going through and doing a deep dive on each of them but, like, I, I actually did – I actually had a therapist one time looking at her notes for me, and she goes, remind me again when you were molested. And I go, I wasn't. She was oh like – Oh, my God. Are you are you sure? Like, oh did, my and God. I go, I don't know. Find it. So um, – Have you done that as a bit? I, I've, 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 I've messed that's, with all of these things. That's really good. But it's true. and and That's a very funny – like, it's also funny if you listed them off. Like, what about Uncle Brian? <laughs> nope. What about Uncle Matt? Nope. What about Uncle, you know, whatever. And I do you, that. I go, like, and, and, I and, think, then, and then you get to one and it's like, what about Uncle Brendan? Well, <laughs> there was one Thanksgiving that was odd. You know what I mean? Yes. Well, and you could even go through like a, like a nebulous story. You know what I mean? I like the idea of the fact that, because I think the, the relatable thing, the listing of the uncles is really good. But the, I think the thing that a lot of people do when they do like uh, repress those memories is, you don't even remember that uncle. Like, you erase that uncle. He doesn't even enter your list. Because every single person, whether they've been molested or not, and especially those that have not, have gone through your roster of your childhood and been like, was there something that I'm blocking out? And you yeah. kind of go back and you go yeah. through each one. And I have a feeling that if I was really repressing something, I would just completely miss an Like, I wouldn't even. So it might be funny to go through the uncle's and then to have one come up and go, like, some kind of reveal where, like, oh, I don't have an uncle. Or, like, so, oh, just funny. something where it's, like, I've revealed an uncle, but then I, d d like, uh, insist. Oh, like, for instance, this one thing that I do, I go, so I go, I'm not molested. I never, like, was molested. I don't know what's going on. And then later on my act, I go, you know, I don't know what fucked me up sexually, but there's something that happened. But I don't know. I think it's the talk my mom gave me, the sex talk my mom gave me, where I was really young. She sat me down and molested me, and she told me oh that. And then God. I just like shove it, and I go, "Oh, there it is." <laughs> oh my God, out. that's like, it. That's it. Yeah, like something like that, where it just. Oh kinda... my God! Thanks for being part of my breakthrough. Yes. So the last thing we do is go working out for our cause. And if there's a specific nonprofit that you like to give to, I will donate to them and we'll link to them in the show notes. That's amazing. I would love to give to the St. Louis Stray Rescue because I, I'm, I'm an animal lover. So are, who isn't, you know, but uh, you just see what these people see and they go in and they see animals in just like the worst situations. And, and I'm someone who just like kind of throws money at things, but they really get in there and see some awful stuff and they do great That's work great. and they've really... I've done a lot of uh, charity work for them, and they've helped me out a lot with uh, my own dogs just being like, giving Aww. advice. So they're just good people. And, um, yeah, St. Louis Stray Rescue. That's great. Um, thank you. Uh, thanks for doing this. And, and I can't wait to see you next hour. And I feel like there's so much stuff in there that I feel like could end up in the show. Like, I feel like the stuff about your nephew is a riot. Yeah. I, mean, I, I got to gotta put riot. that down because I, I just want him to know what um, – how difficult he is and how uh, <laughs> oh we're going to come so far. But I need him to know what a little little uh, brat he is. <laughs> well, thanks, Nikki. I'll see you soon. See you soon, Mike. Working it out because it's not done. 
We're working it out because there's no that's going to do it for another episode of Working It Out. Nikki Glazer, man, so smart, so funny. If you want to listen to her on another podcast, I'm going to recommend another comedy podcast for comedy nerds. It's called Good One. It's a weekly podcast from Vulture, hosted by Jesse David Fox. Every Tuesday, I was on in 2018. Good One has also had Roy Wood Jr., and Sarah Cooper, who are on Working It Out. You can subscribe to Good One on, you know, Apple Podcasts or, or, or wherever you get your podcasts. Working It Out is produced by myself, along with Peter Salomon and Joseph Rubiglia, consulting producer Seth Barish, sound mix by Kate Belinsky, assistant editor Mabel Lewis. Thanks to my consigliere, Mike Berkowitz, as well as Marissa Hurwitz and Josh Upfall. Special thanks to Jack Antonoff, for his music. There's some new little stings today. As always, a very special thanks to my wife, J-Hope Stein. Our new book is called The New One, and it is at your local bookstore, which we should all be supporting our local bookstores. As always, a special thanks to my daughter, Una, who created a radio fort made of pillows. Thanks most of all to you who have listened. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. What's it like telling your enemies about a podcast? I want to, I want to hear those stories. We're working it out. I'll see you next time, everybody. <laughs>